Many years ago, when I was a kid, our family was vacationing near Vail, Colorado, and it just happened to be that it coincided with a golf tournament. It was the Gerald Ford Invitational Golf Tournament. And Jack Nicholas was playing in that tournament, and he was my golfing hero at that time. And so my parents took me to the tournament, and they dropped me off so that I could see it. And I thought at the time, well, that's just them being nice to me because they knew that I liked Jack Nicholas and they knew that I liked golf. But then as I got to think about it a little bit more, it's like, who else takes their kid on a family vacation and then at the first opportunity ditches them, right? So I've been going through some significant personal struggles because of my parents' actions way back when I was a child, but uh, that's just kind of the way that uh, that particular circumstance unfolded. But something else struck me that day because with the popularity of a guy like Jack Nicholas, you would expect that there would be a little bit of arrogance on his part, that you would find him to be a little bit full of himself and not have time for just the average person. But when I actually was up close and personal with him there when he was coming up onto one of the tee boxes, I found him to be very much different from that. When I was able to see him just sort of face to face, he actually came over to me behind the ropes and and he shook my hand and he actually asked me a question about myself. Then there was a lady next to me and she wanted to get a picture with him. And this is before selfies were even a thing. And uh, he was just so patient with her. She fumbled with her Instamatic, trying to get it set and trying to get it right so that, so that she could get this picture. And uh, if you're here today, you don't know what an Instamatic is. Look for somebody who's old around you, and they'll be able to fill you in on the details of that. But the reality was that I had formed some opinions about Jack Nicholas. I'd come to some assumptions based on just some things that I imagined about him, never having been near him, never having met him, never having spent any time around him to see him in person whatsoever. I'd drawn those conclusions, and a few of those were accurate, and a lot of them weren't accurate at all. He couldn't have been nicer. He couldn't have been kinder to the people who were around him, and I came to realize that I had formed some opinions inaccurately simply because of the fact that I didn't have a close enough perspective to actually gain the right perspective on him. Well, today we're going to be launching into a new sermon series where this very thing is at play, where we are going to see the difference that it makes when we have the opportunity to actually not just make some assumptions about things because of what it is that we might have in our own minds as preconceived notions, but rather that we might be able to form those opinions based on presence around the person. And there's one individual that we are going to be looking at and focusing on in this sermon series, and that is Jesus. That's no surprise to you. We're going to take an up-close-and-personal look. We're going to look at the people who had the opportunity to be there with him, the ones who were eyewitnesses, the ones who encountered him, and see what it is that we might learn from them and what a difference it might make in our lives to understand what it meant for God to be with us. And that's what the title of our sermon series is. It's very simply, God with us. What does it matter to see him in the flesh? What difference does it make? We're going to consider that. Now, I imagine that we have people who are listening in today who have differences of opinions when it comes to this idea of Jesus come to earth. Some of you are here and it's like, well, that's absolute gospel truth. We know that. 
And that's great. And we're going to go ahead and see what a difference that should make in our lives if we really hold that to be true and consider whether or not we're living up to that standard. Others of you might be here and you might be saying, well, you know what? I'm not so sure. I'm, not so, I'm actually a little bit skeptical about this whole Jesus come to earth as a baby, born of a virgin, all of that kind of stuff. I'm not sure that that really makes total sense to me, and so you're a bit skeptical. And I'm glad that you're here because we're going to look at this story, we're going to look at this account, this, this uh, circumstance, this notion from the standpoint of some skeptics who were there to look on as well. What is the testimony that we get there? Others of you are here and it's like you're not doubting the veracity of the story or of the account, but it's like I'm not sure that really makes a whole lot of difference for me because Jesus isn't still here. I don't have the opportunity to see God with us because he's not present around me. I don't see him in the flesh. And so it sort of takes some of the punch out of this whole idea that God is with us. What is our perspective supposed to be if that's kind of where we see ourselves. Now, whatever it is that your starting point would be in this conversation, what I want to ask you to do for the course of the next few weeks that we have together, taking a look at God with us, is this. I would like you to spend your time asking yourself, what if Jesus did come to earth? What if Jesus did come to earth? What difference would it make? What difference would it make in my life? What difference would it make to the world? What difference would it make to skeptics? What difference would it make to those who believe? You don't even have to decide right now whether or not you even believe that it's true. But if you just open yourself up and ask yourself that question for the time that we have together over these next few weeks, I think that it is going to be at least informational, if not transformational. The people who were there at the time of the angels and the shepherds and the star over Bethlehem, all the way to the point when Jesus dies on the cross and ascends into heaven, which is how the story of Jesus' days on earth are completed. The people who were with him learned a lot of things about who Jesus is because of their access to him, and that's exactly how God wanted it. God didn't want to keep us at a distance. He didn't want us to be guessing about who he was or about the things that were true about him. He wanted them to know. He wants us to know. And so we're going to dig into this idea and we're going to consider God with us. He wanted us to know. And so that's why today we're actually calling this sermon, or this sermon for today, God with us to reveal who he is. God with us to reveal who he is. Now, there's some steps that Jesus took when he came that told us a lot about him, and we're going to take a look at some of those steps here today. So the first of those steps, and you've got an outline there in your bulletin. I'm going to be going through a lot of verses. You might want to have that outline there just to jot down some of the references. I'll put the verses on the screen for you because we're going to be flying through a bunch of them. But just to be able to go back and refer to it, you might want to get them down. There are also some things you can, can fill in here as we go. So the first of these truths or steps that Jesus took that tell us a lot about him is that he came to enter our experience. He came to enter our experience. The first real indication that Jesus would be coming physically into our world through the virgin birth came through the message of a prophet. 700 years before Jesus actually came, it was the prophet Isaiah and Matthew in his New Testament gospel records what 
was said and spoken by Isaiah when he is explaining a bit about the whole of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. And it's there that we read this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. This is quoting now from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. But Matthew goes on, he says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Whether you have been in church a lot or whether you have been very, very little, like this is your first time, that's probably still a bit of a familiar little phrase to you. Emmanuel, God with us. It's just sort of out there in the culture. You see it in in, in movies and, and on secular media and all sorts of different places. But here's the thing, you see, sometimes familiarity dulls us to the importance of that thing. And this is very important because this is major Bible prophecy. Major Bible prophecy, to be sure. These weren't just clever words that come from Matthew. These are words that were spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, 700 years before they actually came to be. Very impressive It was just waiting for the right time to come for Jesus to enter into our world. In fact, Paul says in Galatians that in the fullness of time, Jesus came. What that means is just simply when the time was right, when God knew the time was right, he sent his son Jesus into this world to be God with us. John in his gospel takes that God with us idea one step further. He begins with these words in John 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. As John uses this terminology, he's calling Jesus the Word. He's using those two things interchangeably, and and we've probably heard that a good bit, but it can be a little bit confusing in our mind when we think about it, but it doesn't need to be. Because if you think about the written Word of God, that is just something that is ours to reveal who God is. Well, the physical Word of God, that is Jesus, is the same thing. It is just the revelation of God to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, what's this sermon about? This is about God with us to reveal who he is. That's what he is as the word. He's a revelation of God the Father. And in these verses, it's revealing that Jesus is claiming to be God. You see it, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's the claim that is being made here. And together with the Holy Spirit, we have this concept of the Trinity starting to unfold. You've got one God manifest in three persons, and we're seeing that laid out here. But that's only half of what John gives us here. Look at what he says just a few verses later in verse 14, which is also a pretty popular verse. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We're just setting the stage for all of what it means for God to be with us. And this is the theological background that sets and paints this picture for us. The word became flesh. That is, he not only entered into our world, that is saying that he also entered into a body, into a human body like yours and like mine with all of its weaknesses, with all of the things that we are tempted by. Now, there are those who say, well, yeah, Jesus kind of came, but he didn't really come in that way. He didn't come in weakness. He didn't come in humility. He still came in power and only as God. And we say, no, that's not true. This John 1 passage is telling us very plainly that he came as fully God and also as fully 
Man, that's what this is telling us. There's some who would say that, that Jesus just stayed aloof, but what they are doing is missing altogether the testimony of the writer of Hebrews who gives us this. He says, for we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, here's the thing that strikes me about Jesus coming into such a setting. See, it wasn't just that he wanted to come to earth, and the only way I guess I can get to earth is if I go ahead and put myself into a human body, so I guess I'll do that. That's not Jesus. Jesus wanted to come to enter into our experience. He wanted to be like one of us. He wanted to experience what we experience. He wanted to walk in the weakness that we experience for ourselves. And so he came and entered willingly and intentionally into a human body so that he might be able to empathize with us in our weakness. My friends, understand, there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no hardship that you are going through that Jesus himself hasn't already experienced himself. In so many religious world systems, you've got a God who is aloof, who is set apart, who has no interaction, no engagement with his creatures whatsoever, if he is considered to be the creator at all. Jesus, quite to the contrary, comes and enters into our world and bears in his own body the scars of his humanness. There is nothing that you have faced or ever will face that Jesus can't understand, that he can't empathize with. That takes him to a completely different place and it should take us to a different place as well because we can understand that God knows our weakness. God knows our struggle and can walk with us through it and can meet us perfectly in our need because he has been there. But it's also important that Jesus walked where we walk because it makes him the appropriate representative makes him the appropriate representative when he goes to the cross on our behalf. As we'll see in future weeks, someone had to pay the penalty for the sin of mankind, and that should have been us. But when Jesus comes into this world as one who is fully human, he experienced what we experienced, but yet he walks through sinless, as we saw just a minute ago in Hebrews. And because he is sinless and chooses to take the sins of mankind on himself, he is an appropriate representative as he goes to take mankind's sin to the cross. There's no other way that he could have been an appropriate representative apart from doing just that very thing. We can be deeply grateful for what it is that God has done for us. If he hadn't, we would be left to save ourselves, which is something that we are powerless to do. But because he is God with us, we can have every confidence. In fact, that is a key truth I want to be sure that we walk away with here today. It is, it is this. The presence of Jesus is our only reason for confidence. The presence of Jesus is our only reason for confidence. There was no plan B. To this day, there is no plan B. Apart from Jesus choosing to come into this world, we would have absolutely no hope. So it's not just a nice thing that Jesus came to be God with us. It was a necessary thing that he came to be with us because we would have no reason for confidence whatsoever apart from his arrival here on this earth. And any system that tells you that your sin can be taken out of the place apart from somebody paying that price is telling you a lie. It's painting a picture of a system that cannot hold its own weight. It's only because Jesus came that we can have hope and can have confidence. The presence of Jesus is our only reason for 
confidence. So Jesus came to enter into our experience, to walk where we've walked, to experience what we've experienced so that we might know that we have a God who can empathize with us and all of what it is that we have gone through and at the same time take our sin out of the way. What a perfect, what a perfect God we serve That's the first of these things. Related to it is another step that Jesus took, and that is that he came to show his nature. He came to enter our experience and to show his nature. Imagine that you work for a multinational company, and they have have offices all over the world, London and Tokyo and L.A. and New York and Wampum and just everywhere all over the world you can find this company. Now, the the CEO actually lives and has his office in Europe, so you've never met him. In fact, you've never even seen him in person, in the flesh, but you hear that he's coming to America and that he's actually going to stop in in your office building. And so you're kind of excited to meet him, but by the same token, really what you feel in your heart is dread. And the reason you feel that is because you know that your, your company or your location hasn't been producing everything that it should be producing. You know that you yourself have been cutting corners and you haven't lived up to the expectations that are on you through the company's manual. Some people at the company actually call that the company Bible. You haven't lived up to everything that you were supposed to. And so there's this, this dread that is coming over you in these months leading up to it. You're sweating it because you're assigning certain characteristics to this CEO and how it is that he's going to receive you, how it is he's going to treat you based on what it is that you're putting on him. Because you know some people in power and so you make some assumptions about people who are in power. And on top of that, you consider the fact that you haven't been everything that you should be. And so now, there, now there's this dread because you have this person you've never met but you're putting you're assigning characteristics to him that may or may not be true you don't know but you've still assigned them nonetheless and that's the thing likewise people have been assigning characteristics to God for a long time like our CEO Maybe they have never met him but we've seen people with lots of power and authority before and so we just assume that I know this person with power and authority and this is what the characteristic that is true of them and so anybody else with power and authority I guess will just say that they have the same things and then layered on top of that is your behavior and all of a sudden you're in this place where you have all of this dread because you just know it's not gonna go well because you've painted this picture of who this CEO is going to be or in this case, who God is going to be even apart from having met him, even apart from having all of the truth about him, but that's where you've put yourself. And how reliable do you think that a picture painted with the brushes of interactions between fallen human creatures is going to be? Well, it's not going to be accurate at all. See, God didn't want us, though, groping around trying to figure out what was true about him, but not getting it right because we didn't really have a vantage point from which to see him. So he came so that we wouldn't have to guess, (laughs) so that we wouldn't have to wonder, so that we wouldn't just assign certain characteristics based on what our experience had been so that we're not painting it out of our background out of our sin but rather out of who he actually is so he chose to come to become God with us so we didn't have to guess and build our lives on assumptions and suppositions he just showed up so that we could see for ourselves remember the presence of Jesus the presence of Jesus is the only reason for confidence 
And you can see how you would fall away from confidence if it's only in what you're building up in your own mind and in your heart about who it is that He is apart from actually seeing Him and understanding something about God with us. So what do we actually learn about His nature because He showed up? If that's one of the reasons Jesus came, what do we actually learn? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Well, for one thing, in Jesus coming to earth, mankind came not just to know God with us, he came to know love with us. One of his attributes in Galatians chapter 2, we read this. The life I now live, I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus was not just love with us, he was also compassion with us. Matthew in his gospel says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mark goes on in his gospel to tell us that he was a servant with us. Here's what he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On top of that, Jesus is patience with us, knowing and understanding our frailty. Here's the way that it says it in 2 Peter. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in one of the great passages about Jesus coming to this earth, we find that he is also humility with us. From Philippians 2, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, friends, we could go on and on and on about his mercy and his forgiveness and about his love. We've said love and about his grace and about his kindness and about his goodness and about his justice and about his righteousness and about his holiness and about his omnipotence and his omnipresence and on and on and on we could go to talk about who it is that Jesus is, what the attributes are that are true of him, to, to understand his nature because he came to be God with us and told us all of those other things that he is as well as we could look on and understand more of who he is. But friends, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some of those things could be surmised about Jesus before he came. You can surmise certain things about Jesus without having him here. You can look around. You can see nature. You can surmise certain things. That there must be some sort of creator God because we have all of these beautiful things. Romans chapter 1 tells us about that as well. But here's the thing. You cannot reliably draw conclusions about Jesus from a distance. In the grand scheme, you need to draw near. You cannot reliably draw conclusions about Jesus from afar. You have to draw near. See, it's possible you're here today and you've drawn conclusions about Jesus. Maybe you believe that Jesus is uncaring because you have been going through some circumstances in your life and he hasn't bailed you out. Maybe you've drawn some conclusions that, that Jesus is cruel because he hasn't fixed the circumstance, the suffering of some people that you know and that you love. Maybe you consider that he is aloof. Maybe you've drawn the conclusion that he's aloof because in your heart you don't, you don't really feel warm and fuzzy. You don't really feel his presence near you. And I get how you can have all of those feelings, but I'd ask you to honestly consider yourself what your posture is toward God. Is it possible is it possible that your posture toward God is actually one of sort of standing back, maybe even with your arms folded, waiting and wondering if he's going to come through for you, if he's going to provide for you in the midst of your need? You're kind of wondering, 
What is he going to do for me? Is he ever going to do anything for me? Just kind of waiting for him to make the first move. My friends, here's the thing. He already made the first move. He is God with us, remember? He's already stepped out and said, let me go first. Let me show you my love. Let me show you my care. Let me show you my goodness and kindness and love and mercy and grace and on and on and on. And that's what he did. He is God with us. But when we choose doubt and distance, we're rebuffing his move toward us. So what I challenge you to do is to acknowledge that Jesus has already made a move toward you instead of insisting on another. To consider the idea that instead of standing back and saying, well, I don't like what's happening to me right now, and so God must not love me, to entertain the idea that God has already demonstrated his love to you and be willing to draw near so that you might enter into that love as a personal reality instead of just some sort of theory that you've been resisting because from your vantage point back here, you just don't get it. You just don't see it. As you do that, I believe that you will see that he's been reaching toward you with all of those attributes that we've been talking about all along and you'll start to see his care and experience his compassion and feel his presence. Remember, you cannot reliably draw conclusions about Jesus from a distance. You need to draw near. I wonder who here, who listening today needs to take some steps toward Jesus acknowledging he came and made the first move and I've just been standing back and waiting for another move when it's my turn. And what it is that you might find as you walk into the presence of Jesus, as you receive his love, as you receive his mercy, as you receive his grace. Jesus came to enter our experience and to show his nature and another vital truth to understand is that he came to display the Father. Back in that John chapter 1 passage, it tells us about Jesus coming as the Word. It also tells us about the relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And in verse 18 of that passage, we read this. No one has ever seen God, talking about God the Father, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made Him known. That displays the Father and the relationship that He has with the Son. Maybe just one quick word of clarification on this. Sometimes we find the word God used in one of two different ways. Sometimes when God is used in the Scriptures, it's referring to the whole of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And it just says God in referring to all of those. Other times when it says God, it only says God, it's referring to the Father of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do you know? Well, the context. Context virtually also make, always makes that very, very plain to us as it does here as we see it used really in both ways, but it makes it clear. So John tells us even more a few chapters later when he captures Jesus' own words when he's teaching his disciples on this same lesson. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What's he doing? He's trying to reveal the Father to them. And as if, or as if John isn't clear enough for you, 
Or if you want the testimony of somebody other than Jesus, consider the testimony of the writer of Hebrews who writes this for us and gives us this testimony. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's about as clear as it could possibly get. Jesus came to reveal the Father to mankind so that we might know something more about him. Not in some general sort of way, but in some precise sort of way. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no distinction between the members of the Godhead. They have different roles, but they are one God. For instance, we know that God the Father is the one who is thought of to be the head. Yet we also know that the Son and the Spirit are one God together with him. We don't understand how all of these things necessarily piece together in each and every circumstance, but the concept is most definitely understandable. We know that God is the one who is preeminent over creation, yet at the same time we know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit had a role in creation. We know that God the Father is the one who sends Jesus through his love to this earth to die on behalf of mankind, but Jesus is the one who takes on flesh and is the one who dies to set redemption's course. God is, doesn't have flesh and bones like Jesus does. God the Father doesn't like Jesus does. He is spirit. So there are differences, yet they very much are one God. Important to understand. Jesus wanted us to know, and so he comes to reveal the Father. And uh, he prays this, actually, in a little glimpse of the intimacy between himself and the Father. He prays this in John chapter 17. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. Goes on, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. What's this point all about? That Jesus came to reveal the Father, right? And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. There's no doubt, but that one of the reasons that Jesus came was to display the Father. Imagine, friends, the guessing that we'd have to do about God today if Jesus hadn't come to be with us. Somebody might say, well, I'm still doing a lot of guessing about God. There's still a lot of things that I don't know, and I get that, but what I think we need to do is ask ourselves if we don't possibly already have the answers, if we're willing to accept the testimony that comes from the time when Jesus came to be with us, instead of saying, no, 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 if he's not here while I'm here, then I can't trust any of that information that was given when he was here. Is it possible that we need to open ourselves up more and more to what it is that we have to learn from when he was here, from what he taught, from what he said? I once chaperoned a group of youth to an amusement park and we set up a time right at the beginning of the day when we were going to check in with one another in person. They had to come and meet in a certain spot in person. No cell phone calls. There weren't any cell phones back in those days. Yeah, kids, there was a time when there were no cell phones. But at this appointed time, everybody was back together except this one kid. And I knew if there was going to be one kid who wouldn't show up, it was going to be this kid because there's always one kid, right? You know, that, you know that I'm right. There's always one kid. So I asked everybody, does anybody know where he is? No, nobody knew where he was. So I let them all go off back and to do what it is, enjoy the amusement park, and I went searching for him. And I searched and I searched and I searched and I'm starting to play over in my mind the phone call I'm going to have to make to his parents to tell them that I lost their kid. 
And then I wondered for a moment if they'd mind. But that's, that was something else. Finally, found the kid sitting on a park bench eating a funnel cake or something. I said, where were you? I told you that we were supposed to check in at this particular time. Everybody else was there. Why didn't you come and check in? He said, well, nobody updated me on that plan. I mean, nobody said anything to reinforce that along the way throughout the morning. So I thought that it didn't apply anymore. And I'm like, you're crazy. What, whatever would have undone it? Well, I just didn't hear any more testimony on that. And man, that reminds me of what we sometimes have trouble with in our circumstance. Here's the thing. We have all received detail, instruction, and information about Jesus when he was here on this earth. But for some, because Jesus has left and hasn't come back to repeat the details again, we don't trust the veracity of it. Or it's like, it must not apply anymore. Because it didn't get repeated to me. It must not apply anymore. So we doubt what it is that he came to do. We don't allow the earth-shattering, life-altering truth about Jesus that was so obvious when he was here to continue to shape our lives. But friends, until Jesus changes the truth or comes back again, it still applies. What he said before is still the truth. It is still that which we need to live our lives by, which we need to embrace to allow it to guide us. Instead of standing back and saying, well, he hasn't said it recently to me, and he never said it to me face to face. He's never been God in the flesh to me, so it must not apply. It does apply. And I'm here to tell you that the moment that we start to lean into that, we are going to see God in a different light. We're going to see our own circumstances in a different light. So I challenge you today to lean into the idea that Jesus came to enter into our experience and that he knows what our life is like, that he knows what our experience is because he's been there himself. And so you're not on any sort of island even though it feels so alone to be where it is that you are experiencing what you're experiencing, you're not. He's been there and he's reaching to you so that he might be able to embrace you and empathize with the circumstance that you're in if you're willing to come to him and say, Jesus, meet me where I am. Meet me in my need. I come running to you because I know you've stepped toward me. Challenge you to lean into the idea of Jesus' love and his grace and his mercy, all of the attributes that are true of him, instead of standing back and saying, well, I don't think I can trust you. Of course you can trust him because he is trust with us. I challenge you to lean into what it is that he has displayed to us of the Father. And as we do, you're going to find the power of his presence as dynamic and transformational as it was when he was here in the flesh. Nothing less the presence of Jesus is your only reason for confidence. So don't dismiss the truth because he's not still here in the flesh. Jesus became God with us so that we could understand once and for all. I'm not sure where all that leaves you. But if you find yourself on the outside looking in, it's not because Jesus is hiding himself. It's not because he is blinding you because he's already come to be God with us and he wants us to be us with him what would it take for you today to take a step toward Jesus a step that acknowledges that God is love 
And I can believe that because what it is that he has done. And so I'm going to trust that he is love and respond to his love instead of insist that he doesn't really have any toward me. Same thing with his grace. Same thing with his forgiveness as we come and seek it. And you can live in the joy of that. You can live in the reality and the truth of that because Jesus came to be God with us and it changes everything. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus because we know about you because he came. Because he was God with us. Lord, today we acknowledge, I acknowledge that there are too many times when we can fall into this trap of woe is me and Jesus must not care and Jesus must not be there because we're not allowing the testimony that has already been so powerful to be applied to our lives today because he's not in the flesh in this moment. Lord, help us to overcome that attitude. Help us to overcome that perspective because it's keeping us from you. It's keeping us from truth. It's keeping us from experiencing the victory that we need keeping us from experiencing the healing and the perspective that helps us to overcome even in the most difficult of circumstances and suffering. So I pray for everyone listening that Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a theological notion, but that it's a practical reality that helps me to walk my life right where I am, not ignoring it, walking right through the pain and the trial. Lord, we don't need to pray that you would meet us here because you already have. We do need to pray that our hearts would be softened enough to lean into you to recognize that you've come and to walk to meet you where you are. Opening our, opening our hearts to where it is you're taking us. Lord, thank you for the transformation that can be ours because God is with us. Thank you for that reality in the name of Jesus. Come to be with us. Amen.